0: They appeared in glory and were speaking of his, note the air quotes, departure that he was going to accomplish in Jerusalem. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, please be seated. Every year, those of us who follow the Christian year and the lectionary, Every year we go into Ash Wednesday, which is this Wednesday, and the 40 days of Lent to follow by first getting a glimpse of Jesus' transfiguration, a momentary breaking through of the glory that has always been there and which will be confirmed and even enhanced at Easter. Now, every third year when we're in the gospel, according to Luke, as we gaze into that transfiguration and consider it, we view it through the lens of the exquisite juxtaposition between Jesus' exodus and our transformation. Note the topic of Jesus' conversation with, with Moses and Elijah during his transfiguration in today's gospel to wit, his exodus. That's the actual word behind the New Revised Standard's unfortunate, weak translation, departure. And it means his death. And note in our epistle how Luke's traveling companion, friend, and theological conversation partner, Paul calls what happens to us our being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 18 out of so many intriguing aspects of today's readings that's the singular feature that I'd like you to focus on this day Jesus' exodus and our transformation. An exodus is a word that literally means a way out. It implies a slavery from which one needs, very simply, a way out, a deliverance. A way out, a deliverance from the misery of being shackled and forced to do the bidding of another. Exodus recalls, of course, the cries of Israelites under Egyptian domination and Yahweh's response with a mighty, arm and, an out, with a mighty hand, arm and an outstretched hand to bring His people out of slavery into the freedom of the promised land. But heads up, even under the prophets like Isaiah, perhaps as many as a thousand years after Moses took Israel out of Egyptian captivity and waved her on into the Promised Land. Generations later, there was still need for Exodus, this time from Babylonian captivity. Thus, Isaiah chapter 43, verses 2 through 4. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. But for Isaiah, this new exodus meant not just deliverance or a way out of domination by external captors, it also meant exodus, as he says in the same chapter, chapter 43, verse 12, from the captivity of the worship of strange gods. Or as he says in chapter 58, rescue, rescue from the domination of the practice of injustice and violence and inattention to the needs of the poor. Those are their own kinds of captivity. Or in chapter 59, verse 3, the captivity of hands defiled with blood, fingers with iniquity, lips filled with lies, tongues muttering wickedness. Yes, there are many kinds of slavery that call for an exodus, and then the whole thrust of John the Baptist's ministry at the beginning of Luke's gospel is the anticip- as he anticipates Jesus' ministry was the need for yet another exodus as he calls people into the wilderness to await God's deliverance. Now a release, not primarily from Roman domination, but from the domination, the dominion of sin, Thus, his was a baptism of repentance. And his words were challenges to tax collectors and soldiers to just do their jobs and stop exploiting people. Here's what Luke wants us to see in Jesus' transfiguration. Our Lord has come to earth temporarily and humbly veiling his glory that he may take upon himself himself as Isaiah puts it in his 53rd chapter, the punishment of us all, verses 11 through 12. The stripes, whether literal or figurative, inflicted by others. The sicknesses that attack our bodies and spirits. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Taking all of this upon himself, so that we can be released from from whatever the captivity that holds us in and holds us down. The hope for Exodus has been the most powerful source of sustaining hope for countless people caught in various kinds of slavery, for African Americans under southern slave owners, with hope kept alive through countless spirituals, and still sustaining hope as we even today work through slavery's sad legacy. Exodus as hope for Jewish Europeans in Nazi concentration camps. Exodus as hope for so many believers caught in webs of dysfunctional, exploitative relationships. How many in the room, no show of hands, are trapped, feel trapped in relationships that you just wish you could get out of, that That feel claustrophobic, and that make you feel small. Or an exodus out of besetting sins that oppress, that seem unbeatable. I don't know about you, I trusted Christ personally when I was 18 years old, and I thought, man, there's some stuff in my life that I'm just going to throw off like a bad habit, which they were. This many years later, some of them, ah, still, Lord, when? How long? An exodus from the feeling of being abandoned, trapped in a loneliness that finds, finds you longing for companionship, for touch, for conversation, for support. During the Lenten season ahead, Jesus extends his gracious hand once again and says, let me bear this with you and for you. And in the end, let me bury it once and for all in my own tomb, that you might live free and unshackled held in my strong arms forever, where I will work a new thing in you, total and utter transformation into my own likeness. Transformation, in Paul's language, from one degree of glory to another implies the chains falling off, the prisoner being set free, and rising to live a life of liberty, Wholeness, dignity, and worth. Hallelujah. With wild abandon and applause, joyful dance, liberation, and freedom. This week at Jesus' transfiguration, in promise of our, transfigura- our transformation into his image from one degree of glory to another, we sing our hallelujah one last time, and then we set it aside, then we set it aside for a Lenten season, as the Book of Common Prayer on page 265 puts it, a season of self-examination and repentance, prayer, fasting, and self-denial, and reading and meditating on God's Word. And to that end, I commend to you two things. First, the fasting from some good thing, a fasting that may may just whet your appetite for the even better good of your transformation into His likeness. And then second, the frequent praying and the internalizing of the Ash Wednesday Litany of Penitence prayer a prayer that if, and if you wouldn't mind taking the Book of Common Prayer and turning, a prayer that begins on page 267. The Ash Wednesday Litany of Penitence that begins on 267 of the Book of Common Prayer. One of the great reasons for being an Episcopalian is that Our theology is in our prayers. You want to ask what I know, what I believe about God? It's in what I pray. And there there are so many prayers in this book of common prayer that that are extraordinarily and wonderfully crafted. And this is one towards the top of the list. It's a prayer that so finely incorporates the seven deadly sins and puts them before the Lord and asks him to work in our lives. And so I would, I would urge this prayer upon you in these next uh, days before Easter. And if you will, it seems a fitting end to today's meditation for me to ask you to join me in praying the portion of the prayer that begins on the top of 268. And if you would, may I ask you to kneel as you are able. You'll pardon my occasional insertion of a word that I I hope, that I feel helps things along Would you respond with the words in italics? We confess to you, Lord, all our past unfaithfulness, the pride, hypocrisy, and impatience of our lives, our gluttonous, self indulgent appetites and ways, and our exploitation of other people. our anger at our own frustration, and our envy of those more fortunate than ourselves, our intemperate, avaricious love of worldly goods and comforts, and our dishonesty in daily life and work, our slothful negligence in prayer and worship, And our failure to commend the faith that is in us. Accept our repentance, Lord, for the wrongs we have done. For our blindness to human need and suffering. And our slothful indifference to injustice and cruelty. For all false judgments. For uncharitable thoughts toward our neighbors. And for our prejudice and contempt toward those who differ from us. (laughs) For our waste and pollution of your creation and our lack of concern for those who come after us. (laughs) Restore us, good Lord, and let your anger depart from us. accomplish in us the work of your salvation by the cross and passion of your son our lord and because we do pray in hope of transformation that last line one more time bring a, a by sorry i'm sorry i messed up you're doing great, I messed up. By the cross and passion of your Son, our Lord, with His blessing.